the Lord with gladness. Come before him, singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Let's enter his gates with thanksgiving and go into his courts with praise. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love endures forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Amen.
morning church this is your first time visiting with us in person or online welcome we're so glad that you've decided to worship with us today at new covenant church we invite all people in the communities where we live to know hear and respond to jesus christ you can learn more about ncc become part of our church family or join our volunteer team by going through our connect class online or attending one of the upcoming in-person classes if you would like to bless what god is doing through the ministries at ncc with your tithes and offerings you can use the offering boxes or give online at newcovenantlampasses.com. If you have any questions about what's going on at NCC or want more information on how to get connected, please stop by the hub desk after the service. Again, we are so glad you're here with us this morning. 
Now let's open and prepare our hearts for the Word. Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Merry Christmas in advance. 15 days. 15, 15 days. Ready or not, here it comes, right? Yeah, we're, <clears throat> we're so glad you're with us this morning. And those joining online, thank you for being with us. We're in a series called Majesty. And we're going to be ending that this today. And uh, the one of the things that's just a burden on my heart more than anything else is that uh, in our day, and our culture, I think we've reduced God down to our level. We no longer give Him the glory and the honor that's due His name. We tend to want Him, uh, we tend to believe Him to be our size, doing what we can do. In fact, we, we, we sometimes we give off the indication that He needs our help. And uh, let me just tell you, He's not, he's not recruiting uh, help. He's saving sinners. Right? Right? So I found this quote that I thought maybe said it better than I've ever been able to say it over the last couple of weeks. But I want you to listen to this. I'm afraid in our wanting to make God accessible, we've softened all the hard edges and sanded God smooth. We've made Him palatable and we've reduced Him down to what can sell. In doing so, we've inoculated people from a true life-impacting, vision-changing, future-altering encounter with the living, breathtaking God. Isn't that good? That's one of those, that hurts real bad to realize that that's what's going on. Isaiah the prophet, one of the major Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, uh, he... First five chapters of him, he was well-known prophet. First five chapters, he's crying out to God's people. And in chapter five, he says, woe to those and woe to those, woe to those. There's five woes in chapter five. Woe to those who call uh, good evil and evil good. And woe to those who are doing all these things. And then in chapter six, verse one, he says this. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And all of a sudden, going from woe to those, Isaiah says, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips. I am undone. Well, what happened? The difference between chapter 5 and chapter 6 was not King Uzziah dying. The difference between those two chapters was Isaiah got a glimpse of God as he is. As he is on the throne. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalms 96. And we'll get there in just a moment. He saw, Isaiah saw the Lord as he was. And Isaiah later would say from the Lord. Chapter 29 verse 13. This will be on the screen. And so the Lord says. The New Living Translation. So the Lord says. These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Jesus later quoted this very verse. In Psalms 96, what I wanted to do this morning is, and through this whole thing is I want to elevate the reality of who God is in your minds, in your heart. I want to invite us to worship Him as He is this Christmas 
not just as we've perceived him to be. Psalms 96 verse 4, this is also in the New Living Translation. It says, great is the Lord. He's worthy of our praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of the other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. The word honor stood out to me. The word honor means to highly value, to prize, to not take lightly, to esteem, to give weight to, to ascribe worth, to worship. And I couldn't help when I thought read Psalms 96, I thought of Revelations chapter 4 where John exiled to the Isle of Patmos. He gets a glimpse of the throne and the one who sat upon it. And he, in chapter 4, he speaks of these four living creatures who do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then in verse 9 through 11, I love this. Whenever these living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, whenever they do that, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they are and were created. Glory, worthy, Honor, power to you. Right now, right at this very moment, the four living creatures are crying out around the throne, holy, holy, holy. Right now, I don't mean someday. I don't mean the past. I mean right now, 24-7. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. And can you see in your mind that when they do that, these 24 elders, the rule of, of those that God had put in place, they fall down, they fall on their faces before the throne, before God who is on the throne, and they begin to cast their crowns. Everything that they've accomplished, all the rewards and the awards that they could be, they give it all to God, they give it all to God, they give it all to God, honor and glory and power right now. And here we sit. In church, you understand what I, what's going on in the heavenlies would blow your mind. But you see, we tend to make everything about us. So this morning, I was asking the question, what would it look like for us today if we really saw that? What would it do to us? What would it look like for us to honor and worship His majesty? Would we even be interested? And I asked the Lord, Lord, how can I show this? How can I express this? And, and I've been reading the Christmas story, preparing for the Christmas messages coming up. And the Lord said, the, the, the wise men. You see, Christmas, 15 days. I've got to get over it. Christmas is coming. I want to use part of the Christmas story to give us a picture of what honor and worship looks like and could look like from us. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be reading the story, the account in Matthew 
of the wise men. Verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Who is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east, or from the east, and have come to worship him. Now look down at verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now what I want us to look at this morning is I want us to look at the worship, the honor. The word worship in Greek is proskuneo. You can't pronounce it either. And it means to worship, to give deferential reverence. It means to show respect. But here's what, it means to fall or prostrate before. You see, the ancient oriental mode of honor between persons has three parts. And if you were equals, if you were equals, you kissed on the lips when you greeted one another. If there was just a slight difference between your rank in life, well, then you would kiss on the cheek. You've seen it. We've still, you know. The third way is if that one was superior, much superior, you were inferior to them, you would fall to your knees on the ground and put your head on the ground before you and you would blow kisses to the one who was superior to you. For Americans, that's anathema. But I want you to hear something. Which one was honor? Honor. We're talking about honor. And that's what this word worship that the magi, the, the, the wise men did. That's the word that they fell on their face and worshiped him. Well, who were these wise? Do you all ever ask yourselves, who was the wise men? You do know the wise men didn't. The, I know your Christmas card shows them present in the nativity scene. You do know they weren't there, right? Some of you are looking at me a little funny. You mean they weren't? You understand that these wise men come later. Okay? But who were they? Now, traditional have a lot of different things, but I just want to use scripture, but I also want to use a little bit of what I've learned. These wise men, the actual word is magos or magi or magi. The term magi referred to a special class of priests at that time in the Persian Empire, they were professors and philosophers of their day. They were highly educated scholars who were trained in medicine, history, religion, prophecy, astronomy, and astrology. Not the horoscope like we think of these days, but astrology. In that day, astrology was connected to man's search for God. The study of the skies was to find the answers to the great questions of life like... Who am I and why am I here and where am I going? These magi were highly influential in Persia right then. But I want you to understand, they had gone all the way from Babylon to the Medes to the Persians. The, the magi is what stayed consistent during all of those reigns of those dynasties. These magi, they were not kings themselves, but it could be rightly stated that they were kingmakers because they functioned as political advisors to dynasties. But here's the point I want to make. They were Gentiles. 
But they also were the only people seeking the one born king of the Jews. The angels had been invited, the angels had invited the shepherds to come. But the Magi came seeking, seeking, looking, expecting. Why? What did they know? So I'm thinking, if I knew what they knew, maybe I would worship like they worshipped. So what did they know? It was just by the words. They knew Jesus. They didn't know him by name at that point. But they knew Jesus was born king. They came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? They knew kings. They'd been in dynasties. They'd, there was rain. They knew... and. It, you do realize they had traveled, some say, between 900 and 1,200 miles. 900 to 1,200 miles. They had traveled, and they get to Jerusalem, and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And this word king in the Greek is not just you know, who's sitting on the throne. They were looking for a world leader that was going to have a, the kingdom of the world, that was going to rule the kingdom of the world. That's what that word, Basilia, that meant not just a king, but a king of a kingdom. In other words, they were looking for the king of kings and lord of lords. Where is he who's born king of kings to the Jew, in the Jews? How did they know that there was going to be a king born? How did they know to come? We, we call the way they knew, we call it scripture. They wouldn't have called it scripture. I want to show you this. They knew where to come, when it was going to be from the prophecies of Daniel. Daniel. You see, Daniel, the prophet of God, he was taken as a little, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, the Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. Anybody been in church before? <laughs> you know the stories. Daniel was taken as a young man. Daniel was a prophet of God through three dynasties for 70 years. And in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 48 is after Daniel had uh, interpreted the king's dream, it says, The king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. In the Septuagint, the word wise men here is magi. So Daniel became the chief administrator over all the philosophers. This whole thing, this, and I'm going to call them a clan, a clan of scholars, of astrologers, these people who knew medicine. They were the most educated of their day. Nebuchadnezzar put Daniel over all of them. And all through three dynasties, Daniel, his, and Daniel is filled with messianic promises and prophecies. And so Daniel... In his prophecies, and if you read Daniel, you'll find out. They knew the prophet Messiah was coming. They knew even the timing. Daniel 9, 25. 
Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, which came under Cyrus, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks. In the Hebrew, it's seven sevens and 62 sevens. The streets shall be built up again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. These men had traveled a thousand miles on the basis of study and prophecy. Listen, here's what just blows my mind. Gentiles came to worship what Herod and Israel had forgotten, had taken for granted. For 400 years there had been silence. Israel had been conquered. And right in the midst of what looked like the end of everything, God sends His Son. In the fullness of time. Realize these men knew Jesus was going to be born the king. How did they get there? They walked in the light they had. We've seen his star from the east. And they followed the light they had. Verse 9 This is after they had talked to Herod. Verse 9, The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they saw the light, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. These magi had been looking and expecting and following the word. And now they began to see a refreshed, the light showed up again. Don't you love it when God gives you a new expression, new way of seeing, a new light? You do understand that this was a fulfillment of prophecy too. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined and they walked, a light has shined. They walked in the revelation of the light they had. And I want to, it's just what I want you to hear. I don't think God's, I think God, if you'll walk in the light God gives you, you'll end up at Jesus. You'll end up knowing Him for who He is. What we tend to do is we tend to look to other people for light. You have the light of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And I want to tell you, God still lights the way for you to see Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For it is God, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, God's still turning the light on. You're just going to have eyes to see it. He's still giving light. He's still leading. They, they knew he was going to be born king, Jesus. They knew they walked in the light. They were given and they knew to worship the child. And that, that, that is one that gets me. Verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now these are grown men. Grown men. We, we, sometimes we think, well, there's three wise men. Folks, listen to me. Those men didn't travel a thousand miles by themselves. There was probably what we would have considered an army with them. And I'm not saying there's three. We don't know. It just says magi. We get the three probably from the three gifts that are mentioned. But the whole point is they had come and when they came to Jerusalem, they caused quite a bit of stir. 
And they kept, it says that they were saying, where is he who's born king of the Jews? And that word saying there means that they said it to every. When they entered the, the gates, they were saying, where is he? Where is he born king of the Jews? Everybody they'd meet, where is he born king of the Jews? What, where is he born? They were expecting and they were expecting someone to answer them. They were, they were coming to worship. Now these were grown men who fell down on their faces. If you understand what that word means. He fell, they fell down as inferior to one who was far superior. These are grown men, scholars, seekers, Gentiles. They're not put off by the surroundings. They're not, they're not put off by the poverty of the moment or even the logic of the situation. Can you imagine bowing down to a two-year-old? A toddler? They saw in a toddler the king of kings. They saw the one who was going to fulfill the prophecies. Who was going to be a world leader. Who was going to save the world. It wasn't reason or religion that brought about their worship. It was the revelation of what was promised. They recognized and acknowledged the child for who he was. For who he was to become and what he was going to accomplish. I'm not saying they understood it all. But what I'm saying is the Father God did... And he honored the son as a child by Gentiles from the east. And I saw something I'd never seen before. I'm not even saying I'm right. But as I saw it, I realized that these wise men were the forerunners of you and I. Gentiles who have a revelation of Jesus for who he is. And we bow the knee in worship. They were prophetic. They were the forerunners. They were the ones. They were the first of Gentiles to bow the knee to the king of kings. They knew to worship. Their worship was a prophecy of our own. They understood that this one was now what we see on the other side of the cross... He included us. It included the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to ask God to reveal His Son anew in us, through us, and beyond us in our day. They knew to worship. Then one other thing, they knew not to come empty-handed. This surprised me. And when they had opened their treasures, verse 11... When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you've all heard sermons about the gold and frankincense and myrrh. And everybody, uh, us preachers like to, like to preach long sermons on different things, little things. But let me tell you something. What stood out to me, they opened their treasures. Oftentimes, we think they brought three little boxes. That's how we've seen it. It's on the Christmas card, so surely it must be biblical. It says they opened their treasures. 
I don't know about you, but can you imagine what a Persian Gentile would have brought wanting to honor the king of kings? They opened their treasures and they gave to him gold and frankincense and myrrh. It wasn't about the gold. Well, it may, may have been, but here's what I'm trying to say. They understood something that we tend to have forgotten. Moses told God's people this when he talked about the feast, these feasts that were required for the people to go to. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, the last of verse 16 and verse 17, it says, when they, appear before, they must not appear before the Lord without a gift for him. All must give him. All must give as they are able according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God. Now I understand, I understand God's the absolute giver. But, but here's the point I began to see. These Gentiles understood that you don't approach the king of kings empty handed. Let me tell you what we've done in our culture. We've made it all, let's just use Christmas. Christmas is all about what you're going to get. We call it the giving season. But let me ask you a question. What's the one question they ask you after Christmas? What'd you get? And you ask your children, what do you want for Christmas? Now, I'm not knocking Christmas. I'm just saying I think we just need to elevate our eyes a little bit. Elevate our eyes just a little bit. And to realize, for God so loved the world that he gave. And you do realize that everything you have is a gift. What do you have? What do you possibly have that you haven't been given? You say, well, I earned that. Well, where'd you get the health? Where'd you get the job? You do understand everything that you have, everything that you are, has been a gift from God. The next breath is a gift from God. You've got to understand that we so often talk about what's, what's in it for me. Let me tell you what's in it for you. Love, life, freedom, forgiveness, peace. Don't approach that empty-handed. How often... We come to God for what we can get. For God so loved the world, He gave. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from a Father who loves us. Let me give you one more. This is talking about worship. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase. You want to worship God? Honor Him with the first part. It'll blow you away what God will do with the rest of it. Honor the Lord. The, the Proverbs goes on to say your, your fields will be fruitful and your, your vines will overflow. Your vats will overflow with new wine. And we often focus on what we're going to get out of it. I want you to understand. I'm, I'm trying to get us to focus on what would it look like for us to honor God. Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, Give and it will be given to you. Shake good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you again, measured back to you. So let me ask you a question. Do we honor and worship the Lord according to His majesty or according to our desire? 
Do we even worship him? Do we worship him out of his worth or our need? Do we trust him? Do we even know what the wise men knew? They would travel 1,100, well, just, well, they'd travel 1,000 miles to bow on their face before a king. Some of us won't travel three blocks. You understand. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying, it's not a matter of distance. It's a matter of heart. And it's not, it doesn't, I am not saying you have to go to a place to worship him. Let me tell you what, you ought to want his presence to worship. You do know I left out some verses, right? You do know I left out some verses. Verses 3 through 8. Herod, king of the Jews, he hears that these people were looking, seeking a king. And he gathers his priests and his scribes, his lawyers... And he asked you, where's the Christ going to be born? And they, they said, well, the prophecies tell us of Bethlehem. So Herod calls for these wise men. And he says to them, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you find him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. <laughs> Not. The priests and the scribes and now Herod know there's a king. Being born, at least from these Gentiles, I'll come and worship him. But they didn't. We've heard sermon after sermon of different things, and we'll say, Oh, I'm gonna do it, but don't. I'll come and worship him, but don't. You see, here's the these wise men who shouldn't have known travel a thousand miles to worship the king. Herod and describes who should have known won't go downhill six miles. So what were they worshiping? Their own plans. Their own promises. Their own desires. So I invite you this morning to consider something. We who should know his worth because we have experienced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as, a, as forgiveness for our sins. He's poured out his spirit on all flesh. We literally have his living presence in the person of the Holy Spirit with us this morning. And we have this opportunity today to worship him. But many of us won't. What time is it, preacher? Now, hear me. What do we think? It's not about getting it over with. It's about getting it into it. Do you trust him? Jesus came to save sinners. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin of the world, your sin and mine. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day, he was raised victorious over sin and death. Your sin, my sin, my death. Do you trust him? Do you value that? Will you worship him? I'm going to invite the altar team to come. 
even as Christians, we've become far too familiar with the stories and have forgotten the worthiness of his truth. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. It's time we repent about uh, for talking about it and never coming to the position. The invitation this morning, if you have need, if you have need, if you need to know Jesus Christ, there's, there's altar team here to help you with that. If you need things for God to do in your life. But here's the invitation to the rest of us, to all of us. Will I bow the knee and give place and worship and honor to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Will I worship Him in His majesty? I want you to stand together with me. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now, and I say to you, Lord, I bow the knee. I bow the knee. I worship you. I repent for being flippant about who you are in a world that desperately needs to know you. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to break my heart afresh and anew and reveal to me the living Lord Jesus as he is in resurrection life, the Savior of the world. I invite you, Lord, I want to honor you. I don't come empty-handed, Lord. I come in surrender and submission. Everything I am and everything I've got is yours. And Lord, I invite this congregation to respond to you in worship. In Jesus' name. The, The front can be an altar for you. The front rows can be an altar. It doesn't matter, but I'm just going to invite you. Will you worship him for his majesty? for His glory, for who He is, as He is. We invite you to respond as Megan sings.
worship you in your majesty. Receive our honor. Receive our worship. We owe it all to you. Everything. We don't have anything that belongs to us. Everything belongs to you. Lord, we don't come empty-handed. We come with surrender and submission to you. We trust you. Let us experience you in all of your majesty, in all of your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look up here at me for a second, if you would. We want to close out our, with this service this morning. If you have other, you want to stay, you, you're welcome to stay. You're welcome to be here. But here's the point. Then also the ministry team will be available to, to minister to you. But let me tell you, we need this to become a lifestyle, not a one-time event. To worship His majesty. We're going to close with a song in just a moment. I want to tell you the history of the song. In 1977, Jack Hayford, him and his wife took a vacation to to England. Can we turn the lights up? He and his wife took a vacation to England. In 1977 was the 25th anniversary for the Queen's art inauguration. So everywhere they turned was all about pomp and circumstance and and majesty and all this kind of stuff. And Jack Hayford was driving a rent car down the road on the wrong side of the road in England. And he began to say with all of this to a woman, a queen, 25 years a queen, and he said, my heart went to Jesus. And he realized the majesty and what Jesus deserved in our worship. And words began to come to mind. And he said, his wife was right, and he said, write down these words. And he began to quote these words to her. So she takes credit for having written the song. And it's majesty. And we're going to sing it as a closing, as our prayer of benediction, would you? Even loud and proud. Let's sing it, all right? Megan, would you lead us? Here's the words. Majesty.